Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. We are everyday people following Jesus every day. Amen. If uh, listening to that made you uh, feel like, man, I really want to sing some of those songs we were singing about, uh, next Sunday night, 6 o'clock, uh, there is going to be a hymn sing in here, I believe. I believe. Yes, I'm looking for knowledge. Okay, yes, in, in this room. So next Sunday night, 6 o'clock, uh, there, there, will be, there will be these. So for those under 20, there are these books called hymnals. Anyway, uh, those, we'll break those out. Uh, that'll be next Sunday night at 6. Also, a late-breaking bulletin, and by that, I mean I got a text after I made my announcement, uh, that if you did not bring your bottle back this week, uh, you can still bring those back next week. And they so badly want them back. Bring it back empty. Uh, there will be no walk of shame or grace-filled place. Just bring it back. That's all I want. Bring it back. Uh, last week, enough about next week. Last week, last Sunday afternoon, was the men's golf scramble. Uh, there were a bunch of us who went out and spent the afternoon attempting something remotely related to golfing. Uh, I, uh, uh, I'm so glad I was on Matt's team because his golf is significantly better than his dad jokes. Um, and, uh, the, and, and his, his, he showed me the patience of Jesus. It was really, I really appreciated it. I... The only holes of golf I have I've ever played are the the, the mini kinds, um, and and so to and the, the truth is I've I've gotten more air under the ball on nine holes of mini golf I think than I did last week so that was unfortunate uh, but we made it we made and and uh, at least on my team nobody lost a ball I think part of that's because I never hit mine far enough to lose it but that's okay that's okay we did not we did not lose one it was, it was good and and we had fun or at least. I did. I think Matt said he had fun. I don't really know, but, but we had a good time. Uh, on one of the holes there at Mint Valley Golf Course, they have some sort of little water feature, little lake type thing. Uh, and as we are getting ready to hit our next shot, uh, somebody on our team got distracted by something happening in the water. There is some thing sticking up out of the water and wiggling around. And, uh, Somebody said, uh, I thought it was like grass that was just blowing around. Somebody said they thought a fish or a bird, maybe it was a bird that had something. Somebody said snake. Somebody said it was the Longview Loch Ness Monster, which <laughs> if it is, we have the saddest little Loch Ness, a little baby thing. It was, uh, it was possible. Sad little Longview Loch Ness. Uh, monster there. Uh, anyway, so we, of course, then could not continue with our game that approximated golf, we, we then had to go over and stand there like men do, just sort of standing there. Check, we got to check it out, make sure we know what's going on in the water. We never did figure out what was going on in the water. It just sort of uh, disappeared at some point. And uh, okay, on, on with golf. Okay, so why did we have to go investigate what was going on in the water? Well, because, because we were curious. That's, that's why. Uh, and, and curiosity uh, is not the, the topic this morning, um, but we, we're a, a curious people, humanity. We, we like to be curious about things. We like to investigate. Certainly as uh, Americans, we really like mysteries, right? That's why there's murder mystery books and movies and TV shows, uh, true crime podcasts. 
we, we also, uh, uh, some of you are old enough to remember mystery game shows, like where there'd be somebody behind a curtain, you have to figure out who the person is, right? Like they ask a whole bunch of questions, uh, who is who is this? We just, we love a good mystery, especially the kind of mystery where at the end, uh, we get to identify who this mystery person, whether it's a suspect or on a game show uh, or, or whatever. Uh, and if you don't believe me yet, I would like you to play a little game with me. Um, I'm going to start saying a phrase. And then whenever you know what phrase I'm saying, you just join in. You ready? Okay. Look up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's very nice. Okay. It's Superman. We love a good identity puzzle to solve. Why did the people in the Superman shows and cartoons need to know that it was Superman? Well, because they need to know, is that just something in the sky or is that help coming? Is that something that's just going to keep on flying right on by and not care about what's happening to me? Or is that the hero I am waiting for? Uh, We at East Hills would identify ourselves as everyday people who are following Jesus every day. That our identity is grounded in this following after Jesus that we are attempting to do every day. That we do some days better than others, but that every day we're identified as people who are primarily, first and foremost, following Jesus. So this summer, uh, we are spending time uh, in the stories of Jesus's ministry, uh, trying to really see him for who he is. Why? Well, curiosity, perhaps. Uh, But if we're going to follow after him, uh, it seems really important to know who he really is and who we are really following. So uh, here's what I would like you to do. Those of you who are note takers may have noticed that there are three blanks at the top of your notes, uh, and I am uh, not going to fill those particular blanks in for you. You're going to do it. Uh, If you do not want to be bothered to write something down, that's okay. You can think these down on the paper of your brain, I suppose. So here's, here's what I'd like you to do. Uh, I'll give you maybe 30 seconds. You won't even need 30 seconds. I would like you to write down the first three things that come to mind when you think of Jesus. Not the right three things. The first three things that come to mind, right or wrong. Just write down the first three things that come to mind when you think of Jesus. My ADD kicked in. I have no idea if that was 30 seconds, but we'll keep moving. What difference does that make? What the first three things are that you think of when you think of Jesus? Well, if you wrote down something like friend, then you see Jesus as someone who is with you, who is on your side, who is approachable, who wants good things for you. And all of that is true. You might also begin to feel like Jesus just wants whatever it is that you want, whatever is going to make you happy. If you wrote down that Jesus is God, great, you recognize his kingship and his majesty and his power and that all the world is created through him and all of those really good truths. 
You might also feel like that power is scary and that getting too close would be bad in some way, that Jesus is just another deity way off in the cosmos somewhere and hard to approach. If you wrote down the word bigot, which you may not have expected to hear bigot and Jesus in the same uh, conversation this morning, but the truth is that there are many people in our society who would use that word when talking about Jesus, when talking about what they read in scripture. Well, if that's the word that you, if you apply bigot to Jesus, well, then why would you ever follow him? That wouldn't make any sense. I want to look at a couple of stories in scripture because this summer we're going to be going through uh, Matthew's gospel, Matthew's account of Jesus's life, much of which Matthew was there for as one of Jesus's friends and closest followers. And I want to look at uh, a few stories talking about how people saw Jesus. So uh, first, before we dive into scripture, uh, I want to introduce uh, a couple of, of terms. Uh, the first term, and, and some of you may know these terms, so I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page because these terms really matter for our story today. So the first term is Pharisee. Okay? A Pharisee is a Jewish rule keeper about the time of Jesus' life on this earth. Last week we talked about rules versus relationship, about instructions versus uh, interaction. We talked about how Jesus came to invite people to interact with the God of the universe through him. That he didn't come to abolish or get rid of the rules. He came to fulfill the instructions of God and invite people into an interaction. The Pharisees were the religiously elite who used the rules to help prop up their own status and importance. And Jesus called them out on it over and over and over again. So that's one term. Second term uh, is Sabbath. Sabbath uh, is one of those rules, one of those instructions of God. It is a day that is supposed to be set aside to rest and to trust that God is taking care of things that we don't have to do it all ourselves. For the people of Jesus's community, Sabbath was Friday night when it got dark until Saturday when it got dark. Okay? So this time of rest where, where we are to trust God, we're not working, we're not striving for anything, Sabbath. And the third term is Messiah. Messiah was the savior that the Jews were expecting to come and rescue them from oppression and heartache, to restore them as a community into places of power. This was the savior that God had promised, uh, and they were anticipating his coming in some way. Okay, so Pharisee, Sabbath, Messiah. All right, with all that said, let's dive in. <clears throat> we're going to start in Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse Nine. Then Jesus went over to their synagogue where he noticed a man with a deformed hand. The Pharisees asked Jesus, does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were hoping he would say yes so that he could bring so they could bring charges against him. And he answered, if you had a sheep that fell into a well on the Sabbath, wouldn't you work to pull it out? Of course you would. And how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Yes, the law permits a person to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored just like the other one. Then the Pharisees called a meeting to plot how to kill Jesus. 
They watch Jesus do this incredible miracle. And rather than celebrating, they concluded that Jesus was actually a problem. This guy, Jesus, is this, <laughs> this, this guy's a problem. Not a, not a hero, not a, a miraculous healer, but a problem that needs to be eliminated. Why? Because he was a disruptor because they felt like he was disrespectful to their position and their rules and his disregard for their status threatened their power and their position as being more important than other people and they just couldn't stand for it. So they decided that he was a problem to kill. Matthew continues, verse 15. But Jesus knew what they were planning. So he left that area and many people followed him. He healed all the sick among them, but he warned them not to reveal who he was. This fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah concerning him. Okay, we're going to come back to that prophecy. So put a, a, a little pin in that in your brain. We're going to come back to that prophecy of Isaiah, but we're going to skip ahead and just continue with the story as it happened. Okay, so this will fulfill a prophecy. So skipping to verse 22. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak was brought to Jesus he healed the man so that he could both speak and see. The crowd was amazed and asked, could it be that Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah? But when the Pharisees heard about the miracle, they said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and replied, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. Many of you have heard this verse as a house divided cannot stand. So if you've heard that just out in culture, Bible verse, may not know that. Anyway, it's right here. A kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feuding will fall apart. And if Satan is casting out Satan, he is divided and fighting against himself. His own kingdom will not survive. And if I am empowered by Satan, what about your own exorcists? They cast out demons too, so they will condemn you for what you have said. But if I am casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. The people say, this maybe, maybe, this maybe is the Savior that we have been hoping for. But those who are getting really uncomfortable say, no, 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 <laughs> no, no, that, that can't be. So he must be, he must be an evil. He must be uh, working with the demons. He's evil. His power so frightened them, which as a side note, is not unique to the Pharisees. Throughout the Gospels, we see that his power frightened whole communities into asking him to leave, frightened his disciples who, are, who have given up their, everything in their lives to follow him. They're scared of his power. There's something in his power that is scary, but for the Pharisees, they're so frightened of it that he must be evil. He says, look, uh, I can't be evil uh, because a house divided can't stand. That wouldn't make any sense. The, the logic falls apart. And if, uh, if I'm not evil, then the only other conclusion to draw is that what you're seeing is the kingdom of God in your midst, the work and rule of God, God's plan coming to fruition 
among you. And he calls them out on their actual issue with him, which is that they can't believe that this is actually a God thing. Because this doesn't match their vision of what is supposed to happen. This doesn't match their vision of how their power continues. This doesn't match their desires. Therefore, it can't be, in their mind, a God thing. And he calls them to a choice. He says, look, you can either believe your faulty logic and who you say I am, your opinions of me, or you can believe who I say I am. These are your choices. One more story. Skipping ahead to the end of uh, chapter 13, uh, where Jesus goes back to his hometown. So starting in verse 54. Jesus returned to Nazareth, his hometown. When he taught there in the synagogue, everyone was amazed and said, where does he get this wisdom and the power to do miracles? Then they scoffed. He's just the carpenter's son. And we know Mary, his mother and his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. All his sisters live right here among us. Where did he learn all these things? And they were deeply offended and refused to believe in him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere, except in his own hometown and among his own family. And then he simply gets up and leaves. The people that Jesus grew up with end up being incredibly hard to convert to his truth. They're saying, look, we, we played games with you. Like, we, we played hopscotch together. Like, we, we were there. We watched you start to try to learn in your dad's carpenter shop when you couldn't even plane a board straight. Like, we know who you are. We know all the scuttlebutt about your family. We've heard the rumors. We know uh, your mom. We know your nieces and nephews. You're, you're one of us. Where did you learn all of this stuff, which I think uh, Nazareth translates to stick town. It's literally the town in the sticks. It's this tiny little town. Jesus has gone off to the big city or wherever they think he's gone, and he comes back. And they're going, oh, sure. So you went off on your little journey. You come back, and now you think you're better than us. Now you think you know all these cool things. No, no. You're just one of us. We know who you are. Who are you to try to come in and do something great and impressive? They just couldn't stretch their minds to believe that he was anything more than just a guy. He's just a guy. We know who you are. We know your family. They saw him as being on their level with perhaps some really cool tricks, but, but the idea that he could be something above them just seemed impossible. Uh, I mentioned a uh, game show earlier. We played a little uh, game together. Uh, I want to uh, give you another one to play here. Uh, I'm going to give you three doors. Um, and you, you don't have to say anything out loud, just to yourself. Uh, you get to choose a door. And just to make this game that much easier, uh, I, 
I'm going to tell you what's behind each door, okay? So this game is called Who is Jesus? Or the Jesus is game. But I don't know what the right way to phrase it is. Anyway, just making it up. We can call it whatever we want. Anyway, the Jesus is game. You get to choose door number one, two, or three. So here's what's behind each door. Door number one is crazy. Door number two is evil. And door number three is Lord. These are your choices. Jesus is what? Jesus is crazy. Jesus is evil. Jesus is Lord. Uh, You'll notice that just a guy is not one of the options up here. Uh, That's because Jesus doesn't actually give us that option. Remember, he left the Pharisees with a choice. You can either believe that I'm an evil problem or you can believe that I am who I say I am. Those are your choices. In Nazareth, where they're saying, well, you're just a guy, he, he just laughed. He said, fine, then I'm out. He's going to have nothing to do with that, which makes this a great time to pull out one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes, uh, which I know I've pulled out before, but it's just so good. He says of Jesus, you can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Lewis uh, had this, uh, these three choices, these three doors, if you will, that I gave you earlier. He had it alliterated nicely that you could decide that Jesus is liar, lunatic, or Lord. Very memorable. I like it. I intentionally chose the word evil instead of liar because I'm not sure that liar is strong enough for how some people in our society feel about Jesus at this point. How people feel about God, how people feel about the Bible. I mean, some will look at Jesus and say, and look at the church and say, okay, good teacher, bad students. Like, he seems to have some good things to say that we really like. Uh, It's those church people that seem super uh, messed up uh, as they label us as judgmental and self-righteous and all of those things. But many, many look at Scripture and they see cruelty and condemnation and bigotry, which leads us as Jesus followers to a really important question, uh, I believe, for, for the time that we are in. The question is this. How do you share Jesus with someone who believes Jesus is actually evil? How do you, how do you take the message of Jesus that you believe is the truth, has changed your life, and take this message to people who believe that Jesus is actually evil. And maybe some of you in this room or watching online, whenever you may be watching, you, you go, actually, I'd put myself in the category who think Jesus is actually evil. Like, I, think, I think this religion thing in general is bad for society. This seems to work against my vision and desires for what society would be. Now, as we ask this question together, uh, you may be thinking, great, 
Uh, I know some people who feel that way. I'm really glad that we're going to come up with an answer to this question today. And so I have bad news for you. I, I don't have a nicely wrapped, uh, pretty little bow answer to this question. At this point, I just think it's a really important question for us to ask. To go, okay, we're, we're not living in a society anymore and really haven't been for probably decades at this point where something being in the Bible gives it the benefit of the doubt to being good. Where somebody saying, well, this is a, a, you know, a Christian teaching gives it any benefit of the doubt. And more and more people are rising up and loudly saying, actually, I think the whole thing is evil and a mess and we really, really need to stop it. What I'd like us to do, instead of trying to answer this question with a pretty little bow, is I would like us to take this question in, in one hand. How do we share Jesus with someone who thinks Jesus is actually evil? And in the other hand, take what we believe about Jesus, those three things you wrote down or thought down at the beginning. And I wanna carry both of these questions, and I wanna take them to scripture, and I wanna take them to uh, the things that scripture says about Jesus. And we're gonna look at one little tiny, tiny chunk because we're gonna go back to that prophecy of Isaiah that, that Matthew quotes. And I just want us to carry these questions and go, okay, how do I take Jesus to people who think he's against them? What is it that I believe about Jesus? And we're gonna take them to scripture uh, and, and say, okay, does does this match either of these positions? And that may seem like a strange thing to take to scripture, this, this question of, okay, what if Jesus is actually evil? But to take this and go, okay, the people who believe this, when I go to scripture, is that what I see? Do I see where they're coming from? Do I, to actually keep ourselves open to that question and to bring it to scripture in the same way that we need to be open about the things that come to our mind about Jesus and saying, okay, is this what scripture actually says? Because if it's not in either place, what others believe, what I believe, like if, if what I believe about Jesus is not what I see in scripture, then I actually need to change what I believe, not change the scripture to match me, right? So we're gonna take these questions and we're going to go to scripture and we're going to say, okay, what does this say about Jesus? So let's go back to Matthew chapter 12. We'll start in verse 17 again, where we, we'd skipped off from earlier. This fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah concerning him, concerning Jesus. Look at my servant whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious and his name will be the hope of all the world. Now, obviously, this is not everything that scripture says about Jesus. But uh, we can look at words like this and see a piece of the picture of who Jesus is and take our questions and go, okay, does this 
match what I am carrying to this scripture? And can I allow what is true in scripture to change and affect the questions that I am carrying to it? Okay, so we'll kind of go through these one at a time. So let's look at verse 18 again. Look at my servant whom I have chosen. He is my beloved who pleases me. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Now, we read these words and we read that Jesus was loved by God, that he was empowered by God. He was a proclaimer of justice. And all of that is, is true and good. For the Jewish people that Matthew is writing to here, they would have seen something more specific and encouraging for them, uh, which is that Matthew is saying, yes, this guy, this guy is that Messiah. This guy, Jesus, is sent by God to be the Savior that we have been waiting for. Matthew is clearly telling them from their scriptures. Remember, he's quoting from Isaiah. So it's our Old Testament, it's our scriptures, but it is the Jewish scriptures, the prophecies they would have been familiar with. He's saying, look, this is that guy that you, you read these scriptures, they gave you hope, and I'm telling you that that hope is being fulfilled in this man, Jesus. And for that audience, this really mattered. So to go, okay, we can see that this guy is fulfilling these prophecies about the Messiah. And to you, if you are following Jesus, if in that uh, game show earlier, you chose door number three and you've chosen door number three with your life, that he is Lord, which is really just a fancy Christianese word that means his opinion matters more. His opinion of who he is, of who I am, of who the world is, and how I am supposed to engage with God, with myself, and with others, that opinion will matter to me more in every instance than my opinion. His desires will matter to me more than mine. That's, that's what we mean by, by Lord, is that we will fall under that opinion, that direction, that call. And if we've said that that's how we're going to live our lives, then it really does matter to be able to look at all of Scripture and be able to say, look, the Old Testament points toward Jesus, that he is predicted, promised, fulfilled. But it's also worth noting that these words that Matthew quotes here really mattered to the Pharisees too. And they rejected it anyway. They just couldn't let their opinions and their desires fall under Jesus enough to believe that he could be this predicted savior. And to those who put no value in these words, who put no value in the word of God at all, well, then this doesn't really matter to them at all. That, that he was somehow prophesied or, or promised because we say so because it's in the book they don't want to listen to. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. But the fact that it didn't matter to the Pharisees, the fact that it may not matter to your neighbor, does not make it any less important or true. Right? Matthew's quote of Isaiah continues in verse 19. He will not fight or shout or raise his voice in public. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Finally, he will cause justice to be victorious. Now, there is a whole list here that Jesus, oh boy, I went too far. 
There it is. Jesus is gentle and just and victorious. He is gentle and just and victorious. And I, uh, I put all of this in one list uh, on purpose because I don't think this matches our rhetoric about Jesus. And by our, I don't necessarily mean you and me. I am putting us in the whole larger camp of the American church and American society. Okay? This is the church we're part of. It is the society we live in. It does not match our rhetoric of Jesus. Some want to point out how gentle Jesus was. How compassionate and kind to the lowly and the outcast. How he allowed sinners into his presence just to be loved and to be cared for. And that is so true. And it's so good. I think it's really important to recognize that truth. But that rhetoric especially when I hear it from people outside the church who are trying to quote the church's scriptures at them, which is a totally fine practice and makes sense. But, but when they're trying to do that, the rhetoric seems to shift to Jesus being so loving of sinners that he asks no changes of them. That he is, he is loving of them just as they are, which means that he allows them continu- to continue with no restraints and no requirements. But that is not true. It's, it's based on this truth of Jesus' gentleness and love and grace, but, but the idea that there is no restraint, requirements, or change involved is not. Over and over again, we see in the Gospels that Jesus would tell somebody that they are loved, that they are forgiven, that they are healed, that they are made clean. Now go and do something different. Now go live differently. The call to repent is a call to turn and live differently. The famous story of uh, Jesus having a woman caught in adultery thrown at his feet. And he looks at these Pharisees who are ready to stone her and says, yeah, sure, Uh, you who has not sinned, you throw the first stone. And they recognize their own sin and they all walk away. It's an incredible moment of compassion and defensiveness and love in such a powerful way. And then he says, now go and live differently. Don't do it again. To the Pharisees who disagreed with Jesus on what was evil because because Jesus is gentle, but he is also just. He will not let the evil of the world stand unaddressed and unconfronted. To the Pharisees who disagreed with him on what was evil, on what needed to be confronted and addressed, well, that made him evil. To the people of today who disagree with the church with Jesus on what is evil and needs to change. They make the same leap and it it makes Jesus evil in their eyes. And so sometimes we try to just get rid of the justice part. I, I really like telling people that they can go be whoever they want to be. I, I just, if it was up to me, 
Um, I would love to do that with, with everybody. It's just kind of how I'm wired. And yet we need, as humanity, we need a God who is just. We need a savior who is just. We need someone in history to be this just victor. And it's the kind of hero that we root for in our movies and our stories, but this is not just about a storybook ending. There is something in us that aches for the world to be made right. And maybe we take that ache and we shove it in the recesses of our brain because we just can't deal with it. But we know that there is wrong in the world. And the internet has just made us more aware of it more of the time. We know and we ache to see things be made right. And make no mistake, I want to make sure that I acknowledge that over the last 2,000 years and over the last 2,000 days or whatever time period you want to draw, the church has been part of what is wrong in the world too often. There's so much wrong in this world, and we know it. Humanity as a whole knows it. And we need a healer. We need somebody who will take away the power and the fear of death. And so we beg the medical community to extend our human frailty a little bit longer. And we need justice, someone to make the evil people face the penalty that we believe is coming to them. And so we rant and we boycott and we scream through our megaphones and our keyboards. And the problem is, that scripture also teaches that the evil is in, that is in the world around us is also the evil in us. And this is something I don't think we actually need scripture to tell us. I think we know this. And we can go, well, yeah, yeah, but I don't have the same kind of evil. Or I don't act on the same kind of evil as that person over there. And you are probably right. You're probably right. You are not as evil as so-and-so. But we're not actually talking about gradations of evil. We are talking about justice. And justice is one of those yes and no kind of categories. Either the scale is balanced or it is not. Either things are just or they are unjust. Those are our options. And you and I do unjust things. We participate, knowingly or unknowingly, in making other people's lives harder. In condemning those that we are called to love and permitting actions that we should hate and stop. Our world is in desperate need of a victory of justice. And so we have people who cry out for justice. And I think when we are in that mode, which is, I mean, crying out for justice is a great thing. Too often when we were in that mode, we picture justice as an iron fist coming down hard on top of someone that we believe deserves it. Justice, we seem to think, needs to be firm and loud and swift. Except that the one who actually won that victory, the one who is just and brings justice to victory, would not break a wounded reed or snuff out a candle. He is gentle over and over again, 
Scripture teaches that he is gentle. Matthew, who we, we talked about Matthew's story some last week. Matthew, if you know his story, his unjustness, his unjust actions were public and everybody knew about them and he was publicly shamed for them. And he talks about Jesus's gentleness over and over, how gentle Jesus was with him and with the people around him, how gentle Jesus is with us. Justice and gentleness and victory are not mutually exclusive things. In fact, if we only have one or two without the others, then we are falling short of following in the footsteps of Jesus. We're modeling our lives after somebody who embodied all three, and so we should too. And it's that victory of Jesus over death and evil that gives us this last one. This is verse 21. And his name will be the hope of all the world. His justice is not just for your side. His gentleness is not just reserved for you. His victory is for everyone. And so he is our hope. Why do we follow Jesus, because he is our hope for justice and victory, for grace, for eternal life. Because we believe he is who he said he is. Why must we take this truth of who Jesus is to the world around us? Not just because we're commanded to, but because the world is desperately in need of gentleness, justice, and victory. Why would we try to take this truth of Jesus, this story that we love and cherish, to people who think that that story is actually evil and makes the world worse, well, because the truth is so much more gentle and just than that. And because, because the people around us, the people that we love, the people that God loves, that we find it hard to stand, are in need, in need of this hope. We have a mental health crisis in our society. Everybody's talking about it. And I'm, uh, it's, it's a problem. I'm, I'm in no way going to diminish it. So much of that mental health crisis is tied to people losing hope. Whether that's chemical, whether that's spiritual, whether it's circumstantial, it's so tied to losing hope. And we know the truth of the hope of the world. And we get to invite people to come and find a savior who is promised, fulfilled, who is gentle and just, who wins the victory, who is worthy of our worship and worthy of placing all of our hope in. That's, that's the savior that we get to carry into the world with us. So let me pray for us as we do that. Father God, 
we know uh, that we need your justice and we know that we would be found uh, guilty of injustice if not for your saving grace. Jesus, we are so grateful that you would, you would walk with us. That you would take on the, the weight of humanity, of our skin and bones and sin. And then in doing so, you would, you would invite us to be forgiven, to experience your gentle grace, and to live into your justice and victory. Spirit, would you fill us with hope? Would that hope spill out of us into the world around us? That whatever our circumstances are, we know the victory is already won. Whatever death or darkness or consequences of sin that we are facing, we would know that your forgiveness is good and that victory is already won. Father, would you so fill us with your hope that we couldn't help but spill it out into the hopeless places around us. Jesus, we are following after you wherever you are taking us. Would you make us more gentle, more just? As cynicism runs rampant in our world, would the light of Christ bring hope? God, you are so good. We are so grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out our podcast. You can learn more or connect with us online at easthills.org.